I remember thinking like, wow, like this guy's made it. He's achieved the American dream. 52, he's young. He has $20 million to make. He doesn't have to work at all. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's incredible. And a year after he retired, he died of a heart attack. Wow. Just overworked. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Neil Park. Hey, buddy. What's up? What's up, Brian? Dude, stoked to be here. Dude, I am equally stoked to be talking to you. We are both domestic here in the U.S. Where are you heading tomorrow? I'm heading to Thailand. So I just got back from Turkey, taking a little pit stop in a words to my home base. And then I'll head out to Thailand and just work remotely from over there. Perfect. You're in Austin, right? Yeah, and I'm in Austin. And tomorrow, as we're recording this, I too will be ha- heading to another land. I'm heading to Iceland. So I too can work remotely <laughs> on my business. So it's crazy, man. So you were born with a couple of million dollars, silver spoon in your mouth. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Just, trust fund baby. Trust fund baby. But that didn't happen like that. So who is Neil? Why the heck are you able to go to Thailand and work from there? Dude, loaded question, Brian. So I definitely did not grow up as a trust fund baby. My uh, parents immigrated to this country from India. So they came here in the 80s. And typical immigrant story, right? Came here with 100 bucks in their pocket after knowing each other for a month. I think my dad's first job was a 712. It wasn't even a 7-Eleven. That'd be way too cliche. It was a 7-12. And they just grinded and made it and achieved the American dream. And then their whole goal was for my sister and I just to have stability in life, which means go get a very stable job. And I ended up in finance. I ended up in private equity. So that's where I started my career. And I don't know how far into it to get, but I did that for a while. Eventually figured out that's not what I want to do. I want to get into entrepreneurship. So I found out a way of doing that, which led to being a digital nomad for a few years. And I'm still doing that. Now we have a national franchise in about 19 locations. Yeah, dude, this is going to be an amazing episode. I can already tell. So you were in private equity. I'm curious, from a cultural perspective, when you did leave to do your entrepreneurial thing, when you did leave private equity, which we'll get into the how and the nuts and bolts of that, Mm -hmm. what was the reaction from your parents? Oddly supportive. Wow. And I'll say oddly, because I think a lot of people from that generation, especially for immigrants, pa- I always love this phrase, past voids make, make present desires, right? That's what it is. Their past and anyone from that generation, they don't have stability. They come to a country, can't get a job, really tough to get off the ground. All they want for their kids is stability, right? That's what's pushed, says much. So I had the most stable job, like finance, I was doing well, I was there for a few years. We were investing in tech companies. Like it was a prestigious job for all purposes. So uh, when I said I was going to quit to go pretty much be homeless for a year, I think both of them were like, wait, what? Like you just have this awesome job. Why would you actually do that? But they were actually, they never said no. They were like, okay, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And so it was almost like easy for me. I would assume for other people, it's a little bit harder. But for me, it was very, it was easy. Actually, I just took off. And of course, I was scared of doing it, but it worked out for the better. Yeah, man, that's so rare because I have so many people that I know personally that were the opposite end of the spectrum where Mm -hmm. they felt a guilt 
associated because their parents coming over and sacrificing and doing all this stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. man, they provided this for me. And now here I am. Who am I to leave a, the certainty of a good thing for the possibility of a great thing? And so it's just, it's a whole mental battle, man. So you're in private equity. What happens? <clears throat> is it an event? Is it a circumstance? Or is it just a slow boil that finally convinces you to start looking at other options? So I think I always had it in me. My parents had video rental stores growing up. So Brian, mm-hmm. you remember the old school blockbusters and stuff like that? So oh, like, yeah. They, I, I feel like a local business was just in my blood. They just grew up doing that. And I, by the way, I was the coolest kid at school because I'd be showing up to all the parties with, yo, I got the new Super Smash Bros. Like, we could play it. And so it, was, it was awesome growing up like that. So I think part of it was like, it was just in my blood. I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. The other part was, I remember it's my first year in private equity. And I was, there was a guy, I'll call him partner Paul. He was set to retire. He was like 52. So there was like a big party for him and he was going to retire. And someone whispered in my ear and he was like, yo, partner Paul has $20 million in the bank. He's 52. He'd been working in finance for 30 years. And I remember thinking like, wow, like this guy's made it. He's achieved the American dream. 52, he's young. He has $20 million in the bank. He doesn't have to work at all. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's incredible. And a year after he retired, he died of a heart attack. Wow. Just overworked. It's a hardworking lifestyle. And I, I don't know, but I remember thinking about, dude, this guy sacrificed for 30 years to make the American dream, which they tell you is what you should do. Sacrifice for 30 years, you're going to have a pension and have retirement, you're going to have all this stuff, but then you don't really control time. And I remember seeing that happen and thinking, this isn't the way, like there's something's off about this. But you don't really know what you don't know because everyone in that circle is doing the same thing. Unless mm-hmm. you're exposed to other communities, other circles, you don't really realize that there's alternate ways of living. Mm-hmm. And that was a big impetus to me to say, okay, I need to start some sort of side hustle because I eventually want to quit. And so it took me two two years into that role is when I started my side hustle. And literally, I was procrastinating on Reddit when I was supposed to be working. And I saw a post of a guy who started a cleaning company. Let me try this as well and started working. Two years after that is when I quit my job in 2015 and went full-time with my company. So I, I always find it interesting about people like the reasoning behind people leaving the job and then also finding the vehicle in which to leave. So Mm. my whole jam on this podcast for a lot of the episodes is uh, you do passive income investing to earn the right to passionate income. So I want you to do the thing that fires you up and sets your soul on fire, but let's get it formed on a bedrock of a financial foundation, right? Let's buy maybe the laundromat. Let's buy the car wash. Let's buy the real estate. Yeah. And then we do that stuff, the non-sexy stuff to earn the right to be like, okay, now I want to go do freelance photography around Bali because now you can swing for the fences because you have this foundation. And so it's just always interesting to me to see all the different reasons and all the different thought processes in leaving. And so many people get stuck in what's called analysis paralysis. Yeah. Trying to find their thing. And you were a private equity man. So you were in like the six figure cushy white collar position. Mm -hmm. How did you even go about conceptualizing? So walk us through your reading on Reddit. You hear this thing about this business, this home cleaning thing, like, Walk us through the journey here, man. What the yeah. heck happened from there? Yeah. So I was after this part in politics and I realized I got to get out of this. This ain't it. I was just searching online. How do we skip the nine to five? Like crushing podcasts, listening, like reading blogs, anything I get my hands on. And of course, if you type in like how to work remotely and you don't want to travel as well, things could pop up. Of, at least back then, drop shipping, 
affiliate yeah. marketing, microblogging. That was what was popular. So I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff and Internet trying money. that out. Internet money. And a year went by. And do you know how much money I made? <laughs> Probably $17. Zero dollars <laughs> doing it. And the big part about that is exactly what you said, analysis paralysis. I felt I was so productive. I was listening to podcasts. I was reading stuff. I was buying courses. Oh my God, oh my God, I'm doing so much work. But until you actually do something, nothing actually happens. Mental right? masturbation. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what happens. And that's what people tell you all the time is courses or like information. And there's so much content out there now. Like it's, it's unnecessary how much content there is. You don't need to consume it all. Mm-hmm. So I was so pissed off at myself after a year that I'm like, look, I just want to get a freedom vehicle. Anything which would let me have what I call the freedom number, which is the number where all my base level expenses are covered. For me, it was like low. I was young. I was like 2,500 or 3,000 bucks is what I needed to mm-hmm. cover just my rent, travel money, food. That's it. It wasn't that much. So I said, okay, well, how do I get there the fastest? So I was on Reddit, on the entrepreneur subreddit. Brian, you ever gone on Reddit? I don't yet, but maybe I'll start. Yeah. Convince me. <laughs> you you me. don't need to. It'll largely waste <laughs> your time. But it, it was a post of a guy who started a cleaning company. I thought all this other stuff has flopped. I'm pissed at myself. Let me just try this. So I launched a, I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know tech. I was a finance Excel dude. Threw up a really crappy website, threw on some AdWords, and I got my first sale immediately and it started working. And I remember when I got it, Brian, I like, I was so excited. I ran outside my corporate building and I just started like, dancing. And of course, I didn't realize you could see through the glass. I thought it was one way. So everyone inside the building was just watching me just like dancing outside. But I was just so pumped, right? Because you make your first dollar online and you realize like you hit that money milestone. You have that freedom. You realize you don't need to like have your income centralized to your boss and what your boss thinks about you. Just It's such a liberating feeling. And in hindsight, I could talk about why now I know that worked versus anything else. But that was pretty much it, man. It was just like trying things out and local business worked for me for a variety of different reasons. And that's just what took off. And I kept growing it. I did it for two years part-time, not knowing what I was doing. It was like, I moved so slow just because I was trial and error. I didn't actually pay for any expertise. And I think we hit around 30000 per month in revenue, which is when I quit in 2015. And that's when I booked a one-way flight down to South America and just started traveling. Boom. So when you started this and when you launched it and you got that first ad and you got that first sale, did you have any idea how you were going to fulfill that? Or did you no. then figure it out? Yeah. I didn't think it would work. Anything I was trying before wasn't working. So I was like, I don't know, let me throw out something and it's going to, let's see if it actually happened. So nope, zero idea how I was going to fulfill it. So people listening, pay attention to what Neil's talking about because that's what's called the MVP, the minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Stop trying, stop trying to create this 10 million, 20 million, $30 million company, this unicorn thing, just figure out what the heck a customer wants and how you can get that first individual dollar in the pocket, man. I remember where I was, man. I was in my car and I was driving. I was at work. I was sitting in the parking lot of this corporate building that I was about to go in and present to as a sales rep. And I remember getting a text message from a mindset coach that I'd hired. He goes, Mm. hey, man, we had five people sign up from your podcast for coaching. And I wanted to give you a, like a cut of that. I said, oh, really? Like, why? And he's like, yeah, you talked about it on the podcast. And five people paid me $12,000. That's $60,000, dude. Yeah, I'll give, you like, I'll give you like 10% of that. I was like, what? $6,000? Yeah. I was sitting in the parking lot. And I was like, you can make money doing this? And then that was the moment where I said, whoa, whoa. Okay, yeah. cool. I've got something here. 
So it's really cool that you just picked. It's not important what you pick. It's important that you pick, right? Man, dropping so much knowledge. And it's so funny because we have franchisees now. So other corporate refugees who want to escape, you just literally copy my business model. But when I talk to all of them the first week, I ask, how much money do you want to make? Almost all of them say $10,000 a month. It's so like, go it's travel, like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. It's funny. It's, if you ask someone like pick a number between one and 10, it everyone's just seven, right? It's people mm-hmm. just arbitrarily pick 10 grand a month. But the reality is like, all you want to get to is like I said, the freedom number where you have optionality, right? Like Brian, if all of a sudden, let's say you work in a really crappy corporate job, you hate it. And now you have $4,000 in extra money coming in every month. And your boss says, Hey, I need you to work on this project, or I'm going to promote you to this thing, but you have to do 10 times the amount of work. You could say no now, right? You have mm-hmm. optionality in your life. And I think that's even more important than a random $10,000 a month. The second you have that flexibility, things change, right? You could just, you, there's so many options to open up to you. And it, that number is typically a lot less than people think. The stealthiest wealth hack that I've learned so far in my journey is that it's not the buying of the things that gives you the freedom. It's the ability to. Yeah. Because when you buy the house and when you buy the car and when you buy the boat that you've always wanted, then you're like, ah, because <laughs> it's hedonic adaptation, like you get used to it. Right. But it's having the option to be able to buy it. That's where the actual freedom is. And you're like, oh, man, I could if I wanted to. Yeah, you know? I love that. And it's totally true. And so, it's, it's, so it's optionality, man. So you make your first dollar, you make your first sale. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the next couple steps there. So, what was the next process between you actually building this business and creating fulfillment, finding product market fit? How did this go? Because most of the time we hear about buying businesses, not starting mm-hmm. businesses from scratch, which is harder. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely harder in some ways because you don't really have any systems built. So, you're building stuff from the ground up. Now, me, for me, this was my first business I've ever actually built, right? So, a lot of it was trial and error and figuring things out. And honestly, Brian, if I look back, I probably could have saved one to two years of trial and error if I just paid someone for the expertise and joined a system or something, right? But at the beginning, cheat like, code. Uh, yeah, absolute cheat code. You could just time collapse the learnings. But things I was doing was cleaners wanted to get paid. I didn't have to pay them. So I'd say, okay, just pull up outside of my corporate building. And I'd go to the ATM, get cash and just hand it to them. And again, people inside the building could see me. I didn't realize that. So everyone sees me running outside and handing cash to people in cars. So my nickname became drug dealer after a while. Um, like imagine how much slower I was moving because I did all these stupid things that I just didn't know how to do. So a lot of it was just two years of me figuring out how this whole thing works. I will say local businesses in general are a little bit more forgiving. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. But let's say if someone wants to start a brand new novel idea, like back then I was young, I'm like, Hey, I should start an app, which tells people how long the lines are at bars. Stupid idea, right? Because it's brand new. It's novel. It's an app based stuff. You're competing against everyone in the world. With a local business, you're only competing against your local market. And most mm. of them absolutely suck at marketing. Like most of our franchisees, if they if you call the, the top 10 cleaning competitors on the first page of Google, eight of them won't even pick up. So I feel like I got lucky because I happened to get into local businesses where the competition wasn't good. So even though I was making a lot of these really rookie mistakes at the beginning, it was much more forgiving because the bar was just so low for what makes a good company in the local market. Mm. So I was just trial and erring, trial and erring. And then what actually made us pop off like crazy was this was around the time Airbnb Arbitrage started to become a thing. 2014, 2015, I started to get calls from people who said, hey, can you clean our Airbnb? And at first I was like, ah, we, that's not what we do. We just do residential. Then I started looking into it more. And when you turn over an Airbnb, 
Like Brian, how many times do you think you probably turn over an Airbnb? How often does it get rented in a month? It's a full-time Airbnb. Yeah, it depends on the location. But if you're running at least 80% occupancy, you're turning that Airbnb over multiple times a month, at least 10 to 20. Yeah, a minimum of four up to 10, some to 20, depends on like how many days intervals between versus a regular home, you're cleaning what, once a month, twice a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. So when I realized that shift and also a lot of those customers wanted a tech-enabled service, they wanted something reliable, um, and that's not what other local competitors can provide. They're not tech-enabled, they're not reliable, they don't even pick up their phone. So I just realized like, oh my God, we got to shift into this market. So started doing a lot more things focused on the Airbnb audience and things just explode from there. And yeah, Brian, to your question, it was very much of a figure things out as we go. Get a website. Okay, now let me find get someone properly to build my website or start try to do SEO myself. Now finally pay someone to do SEO. So it's kind of building as I would um, scale up from there. Yeah. So Tony Robbins has this quote where he says, between nine to five is where you make a living and between five to nine is where you make a life. And mm. so, so walk me through this, man. So you're working a full-time private equity gig while you're yeah. doing this. What does your schedule look like while you're building this? So private equity is demanding, man. As like 60 what? to 80 hour weeks. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought, right? <laughs> Finance, banking. And here's the thing. I was still able to scale this thing. And it's not because I'm smart, because I'm absolutely not. I'm beyond average at this. But there's some things you can do, especially now, that allows you to run this as a side hustle. So all of our franchisees, the majority of them are running it as a side hustle with a day job. And um, their goal is to eventually quit that day job and run this full time. When I was doing it, was before work from home, was before Zoom was a thing. A lot of my day would be like walking outside. And if there's a call, I'd quickly go outside and take the call. It'd be doing stuff on my computer while in the cubicle, just like answering stuff, emailing. And again, going back to my, everyone thought I was a drug dealer. Now they see me walking around with, frantically on the phone and taking breaks, right? So clearly the drug dealer persona is sticking here. But eventually I figured out how to outsource a lot of things, meaning picking up the phone call. Eventually I was able to find like a virtual agency back then. Now it's a lot easier that then find someone to pick up the phone calls. Then I was able to find additional help. But the thing is I had to run this local business as a side hustle and eventually remote. The only way that's possible with the local business is I can't have cleaners coming into an office I have to have them get their own supplies and go straight to the job site just out of necessity because that's how I was running it. That kind of led me to realizing that, okay, I actually don't really need an office. I don't need vehicles. I don't need wraps. They just go straight to the job site. So all I'm doing is quarterbacking the whole thing. And eventually you could hire help. And we help our franchisees now how to find the help much earlier. But that's how I was able to do it is I just need a phone and internet connection and make sure I'm available and the cleaners will go do their thing. If you were giving advice to somebody that was in a similar position to you, would you advise them to start their own business or would you, start, would you instruct them to or advise them to buy a franchise model like you're talking about or buy a previously successful business instead? If someone... and This is my advice. And again, like everyone has a different situation. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a brand new business owner, you want to do it for the first time. Buying an existing business where you're spending 200 grand, 300 grand, putting a personal guarantee is a daunting proposition. Also, if that local business, you don't even know how their internal operations are. The good part about a franchise system is there is some level of systemization. There is a support system already. There's a lot of things involved in that, which kind of provide some guardrails for you. 
So I do think it depends on your situation. I think it's a brand new business owner who's working nine to five. Obviously, I'm biased, but I would say get a franchise because it's going to be cheaper. You learn from the ground up. For example, we have made this university. We have a dedicated franchise coach. We have a whole community. There's just so many guardrails. Mm-hmm. Someone easily could try to start it themselves or buy an existing business without a support system and just flop. So again, I think it just depends on you and your personality for sure. But that would be my general feedback to someone who's working a nine to five who wants to start a business for the first time. I think I'd agree with that. I actually do. I think if I were to go back to get basically a real life MBA in business, right? Mm, It would be to buy, I would probably buy a franchise business. My buddy just did this. So shout out Brian Beers. He's a good buddy of mine and you were on his podcast. So Brian brokered this franchise deal with my buddy AJ. So shout out AJ. He was working a corporate job. He's one of my college friends from back home in Atlanta. Mm. And he just bought two locations of this painting home painting franchise. So I saw that right up the same alley as you doing exactly the same thing. I think he maybe did $100,000 or something down to, to buy these two locations of this franchise. And so now he's doing that. I think that's a really... If we're talking about risk reward ratio, I think that's the the best way to dip your toe into the water of business ownership. I don't think I would recommend people go and start their own thing unless it's a side hustle that they love doing that happens to really have product market fit. And they're like, okay, cool. Now let's pour gasoline on it. Because then you can buy the service business. Then you can roll up. Then you can do M&A to scale once you have a little bit understanding of systems, ops, backend. Procedure, hiring, all that stuff. So yeah, I, I love this. Yeah, it's. I always tell people, and we have a, we even have a couple of like young guys who just finished college in the franchise system. And I tell them, I guarantee you, you will learn more from this than you did for your entire college career. Like, guaranteed, guaranteed, because yeah. there's just so much to learn, so much about business. And I think one caveat of that would be, I have seen some bad franchise systems, old school ones, who are just like. Hey, here's the branding material and the stuff you got to do. Here's an ops manual I'll mail to you and just email me if you have questions. That's Sounds not awful. good. No, yeah. that's not. That's like the same thing as starting your own business with someone who's there. So the support system a franchise provides you is probably the biggest thing anyone should be vetting if they're looking into franchising. But just like you said, Brian, what a great way to start. Like it's a business on training wheels where you have high upside potential. You could grow a lot faster. You could avoid these drug dealer early years. There's a lot to it, which makes it. Uh, a lot of sense for a lot of people. What was the revenue of your... Did you have the one location uh, optimized in LA before you started franchising out? Did you just have the one location and then franchise? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you were doing... And you're doing $2 million a year on that, correct, today? Yeah. So the, it, it, it dropped a little bit since COVID because we were doing a lot of Airbnbs. But mm-hmm. 2019, 2020, right around two. And then it dipped a little bit from there. Uh, but now, honestly, it's like fully systemized. I probably spend about... We run EOS like Traction, um, which is a management yeah. system. So I probably spend about less than five hours a week on the LA location. And most of my time is spent on franchising. And doing this again while still traveling full time. So I want to speak on the very business owner. This is insider baseball. But yeah. the, the angle of franchising, the decision to start a franchise. I had a buddy that owned a a plant store over in Oregon. And he was talking about franchising and doing all the legal paperwork and building out the systems and processes to start franchising it out. And it's a lot. It's a lot to go through to create a franchise model. Can you talk 
a little bit to the benefits of a franchise model, maybe for our peeps that are listening that do have that single site or maybe two or three location mm-hmm. business that is working, that is a, a local business, and they're, they've been considering franchising, what are the benefits and what's the process to creating a franchise? Yeah, absolutely. Brian, can I tell you a secret? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredibly hard. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, uh, that's why I, I was asking. I was, I was like, as soon as you said that in the beginning, I was like, that's a very difficult undertaking. So there had to be a massive reward ratio. It's also like one of those things where I feel like the people who are ignorant get farther faster, right? Just because they don't know what they're getting into. So they just do it. Then you realize, oh, I just did it. So yeah. I almost feel like anyone could talk themselves out of this. But at the same time, if you just do it, you'll probably get further ahead. I was just ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. But in 2019, I thought, I want to expand somehow. I could expand two ways. And the only two ways I had in mind were the Starbucks model or the McDonald's model. Starbucks, they expanded by opening up all their own stores. They own them all. Corporate model. Mm-hmm. Or I could go the McDonald's model, which is a franchise model. And I honestly, it was a toss-up. It was like a 51%, 49% type of thing, whether I'm going to franchise or not. And I ended up deciding, yeah, let me go with it. It's not cheap, man. It costs a hundred grand at least to get it going. You have to get filed in the States. You have to get a lawyer to do FDD. We had to get a consultant to look into how much we should price this thing. And a lot of the costs come after, which is now how do I get franchise leads? How do I get someone to buy into my vision, buy into the system? Trust me enough. Like that part is what people don't really talk about. I would say for me in hindsight now, we have 19 total locations if you count the corporate location too. And I've loved it. Truly, like I think the first couple of years are a little bit of a grind and you're personally, I doubted myself whether this is something I should do because year one, we had one franchise, year two was one more franchise. And it was just like, is this really worth it? And then you look online and people who are like, I just made $60,000 on this course drop or I just did like X, Y, and Z and I made this amount of money. I'm like, dude, why did I pick the hardest possible business model to try to do this with? <laughs> But I think a lot of people get into that because number one, you're looking at social media. Number two, things take a while to pick up. And I've often found the two-year rule was pretty accurate with most businesses, meaning Mm -hmm. two years of grinding and then you see exponential growth. And I realized in hindsight, this was the exact same thing with my corporate business. Two years of grinding, exponential growth. Franchise, two years of grinding, exponential growth. So for me, I just happened to get into it. And there's there was a few months of setup at least, I think maybe nine months of setup. But I would say once you actually get it going, the economics make a lot of sense as you scale. People don't tell you is you need a few franchise, like you need 20 plus franchises to actually start making money because a lot, there's a lot of cost with servicing the franchisees, a lot of overhead. The franchise fee is not a profit center. Any franchises who run the franchise fee as a profit center are probably going to get in trouble. So franchisers goal is how do I get to what's called royalty self-sufficiency as quick as possible? So Can you define think, that? Yeah, that means, for example, we charge a 6% royalty on revenue. How do I make sure my franchise or costs are all covered by the 6% royalty, where I'm not dependent on the initial franchise fee at all? How long is it going to take me to get there? I think some franchise systems get stuck, honestly, because they use brokers, where okay. they use brokers and very expensive marketing companies in the franchise world, where brokers will say, you have to pay me $25,000 for every franchise I sell for you. $25,000 gone. Right. So what the franchisor is left with is a very small amount of money to try to make a franchisee successful. I'm going about it in a different way. We don't use brokers at all. All social media. That's all we're doing. Because of that, I have a lot more money to pour into franchise success, meaning 
revenues grow faster, meaning I'm more I'm at royalty self-sufficiency with less franchise units. I went over a lot over there, a lot of the terms, but does that make sense, Brian? No. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> no. So what's your so what's your so like in the consumer space, it's like you have TV time to value, right? What's your metric that you're tracking? So how fast are you turning these franchises right now currently? Like what's your window? Is it, is it like a 12 month to where you get to this this I, I forgot the KPI, but where you start making the royalties, is it like 12 months, 24 months? What's your target? And is there any lever are there any levers that you can pull to accelerate? speed up that time frame so that you are in the green faster for me it's more of an aggregate right because i don't look at it on one franchise level when they're royalty self-sufficient because it's not about that right we have fixed costs internally so it's just from the whole system at what point are we royalty self-sufficient and how fast is that going to go i don't really have a number of months it takes to get there it's pretty much just like how do we support the franchisees to be as profitable as they can and grow in the way they want to and a lot of it honestly is picking the right franchisees People have different goals with the system when they come in, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure their goals are aligned. And oftentimes, the goals shouldn't be, I just want to grow the revenue as fast as possible, right? Sometimes that's a way of burning out, and it's not sufficient. So I actually look for a combination of how fast you want to grow this thing. Is that realistic? How much profit do you want to take from it? These are all factors that I keep in mind when we recruit franchises. But that's probably the biggest factor. We do a ton of things internally to support them. We handle all the SEO. We handle the social media posting. We handle all the email marketing. We have a marketing playbook every month with a new tactic for them. There's so many things we do to make it easy, but it really depends on the person. So the vetting of the franchise is by far the number one factor that will get any franchise to royalty self-sufficiency or not. It's funny because it's like the cousin to like the hold co framework, right? Mm. It's what I'm hearing because you've got your internal operations, so like what Hormozzi's doing. So you've got like your internal team, your internal operations at Holdco, and then you're having minority ownership of these other businesses, and then you're lending your expertise to them and your systems and your processes to them. So the revenue model is a bit different, but conceptually, it's like in the same family, right? Yeah, exactly. You're helping other people build their businesses, and doing so, there's doing through your systems. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And you're, you said that you were running EOS and traction. So that's awesome. It's probably a benefit that occurred. And this was starting to happen with my friend as he was going through the process. He decided not to franchise. But when you decide to franchise, you start to really focus on your systems mm-hmm. or lack thereof. <laughs> because like you said, most small local businesses have zero systems, uh, zero process, which is why they're not that difficult to beat from what you're saying. And I, I agree. I think this is an area of opportunity. So question for you is, uh, I guess, a two-part question. People are all really excited and ready to leap and buy a business or start a business to where they can run it remote, they can travel the world, wanderlust, mm-hmm. and they can post the Instagram pictures while somebody else runs their business domestically. Yep. And there's so many ways that can go wrong. Yep. So question one is, how do you build the systems to be able to go travel to the 55 countries while this is happening and while the business is running and growing. You can do it remotely. So mm-hmm. what are the systems and processes? And then when it comes <clears throat> to, like, how do you maintain quality control while this is going cool. on? So you're not getting screwed. Yeah. Small question, right? Super easy. Yeah. That's yeah. why we have a podcast, baby. Five-star rating and <laughs> review for the Action Academy. <laughs> so this took me a long time to discover how to do all of this. 
So I'll answer it in a few different ways. The quick answer is I call this the remote local method, which is how do you run a local business completely remotely? Clearly, it's able to be done properly. I've done it for 10 years. All the franchisees are doing it. Number one, you have to pick the right business model that can be done remotely. If you're going to open up a personal training gym, is that going to be done remotely? Really hard. Maybe you need to hire like a GM from the beginning to actually get this going. Mm-hmm. Really tough. Or if you have like a consulting practice, eh, it's tough if you have to actually be there in person. So there's some business models which are just much better for the remote local method, which is any business model where the labor goes straight from their home to the job site. Home cleaning, mobile car detailing, mobile pet walking, (laughs) painting. There's any home service mostly, besides anything with a ton of CapEx, will fill fill into the remote local method. The second piece is key management pieces have to be done remotely. My team is across eight different countries. No one's really local. We have a team in South Africa for the sales calls. We have a um, team in Latin America. They speak to the cleaners. We have a team in India, someone in Jamaica, like everywhere around the world. Because if someone calls in, phone sales can be done there. If a cleaner calls in, that just routes the team over there and they can handle everything like that. So that's the next biggest piece over here. Last one is low CapEx. If you have all those pieces, but you need to store heavy HVAC equipment in somewhere and do installation, It's going to be really hard to be fully remote in that way. So those are the three components of a good remote local business model. So let's say you do have a a great model you've picked and say, hey, this is local business. I get the benefits of terrible competition, but I could also be remote. Awesome. Now the question is, how do you systemize it enough where you're allowed to travel? Mm -hmm. And Brian, for me, this took me years to figure out, right? I think a big part of it was I just quit my job and I started backpacking in South America and I just had to figure it out by necessity because I wasn't there. Eventually, I hired an EOS implementer, which cost a, f- a lot of money. I hired a profit first implementer, profit first. Dude, um, that's actually uh, this is a complete humble brag that I'm yeah. just so excited. This just happened today. This, I don't want to derail this, but this is literally top of mind. Mike Michalowicz just emailed me today, and he's writing. He just wrote me a blurb for the cover of my book that's coming out. Dude, he just endorsed huge. my book, and he's this is like the go to resource for going from employee to entrepreneur. And I was just like, dude, that's just top of mind today. Sorry, I didn't want to derail that. No, dude, that, that's, for huge, Brian. that's okay. huge to celebrate. <laughs> Mike McCallowitz is the, the inventor awesome. of Profit First. That's, dude, that's awesome. That's huge. That's huge. So Profit First is like a great system. And by mm-hmm. the way, both of those systems, I paid a consultant a ton of money. When franchises start, they all start with those systems already embedded. Same Meaning, every single meeting we have, we go over what are your KPIs. Here's the KPIs you should be tracking. KPIs are key performance indicators. So from my years of knowledge, I know sales, this is how many leads we should be having. This is the conversion of those leads. This is how many leads to convert to recurring. Of those recurring, how many, what's the churn rate? We know all those stats because I've been doing it for so long. So when franchises start, every week they report their scorecard and we could easily identify how they're doing and identify what the problem is. For example, if sales rates are low and they have a remote team member, we might say either you retrain them or replace them. Because clearly, that's the problem, right? And then the accounting end, they're all running profit first to make it easy for themselves as well. The number one piece you need to actually start being remote is how do you hold your team accountable and track it, which is KPIs, which is EOS. So that's probably how you'd start the being remote and living this Instagram life is like being able to manage things remotely and track your team and hold them accountable through numbers. That's the actual answer. I don't want to make myself sound like an idiot, but I'm okay with it. How yeah, long did it. it take? How long did it take for you to actually truly figure out cash flow management in your business? I just figured it out. Right. 
truly figure out the KPIs you said? No, cash flow management. So, for, oh man. Yeah. So for me, when I started Action Academy, like the business side, I would have money in the operating account and I'd say, okay, cool. Say we have $50,000 here. Okay, cool. We have $50,000. This twenty, let's this this twenty thousand dollar marketing consultant. I said, yeah, we could. We've got fifty thousand dollars in the bank. We can afford a twenty thousand yeah, dollar marketing consultant. And I had no. It took me probably until summer, six full months of running the business, until I've really truly understood that. And it was because of Profit First. So anybody that's listening, you need to go get the book Profit First. I only understood that after Profit First, which is probably like. In 2018, 2019, I, yeah. I, I started my business in 2013. For context of how long I was going, just being like, I don't know, we have enough money, like just pay it. Literally the same thing. But now every single, every other Wednesday, profit first distributions, like it keeps things easy. I was trying to do the whole budgeting spreadsheet thing and it wasn't great. For anyone listening, what profit first is, is just a method of accounting, which mm-hmm. says you're going to have like different business bank accounts. You'll say, all right, I'm going to save money for profit, for tax, for owner's compensation. I'm going to do all of this automatically. It just helps you so you don't actually have to do like a formal spreadsheet for budgeting. So for us yeah. and our franchisees, we have a bookkeeper on staff who sets up their QuickBooks, who gets everything linked together, and who also will set up their accounts for profit first with them. Yeah. Dude, I love it. And I use Relay as my business bank. So it's an online bank. And they Relay, have like, okay. Yeah, they have, they're the official banking partner and Relay needs to run me some freaking money, dude. So they're the official partner of Mike McAlowitz and Profit First. So I literally have, you can create different sub accounts in there and then you can start and then it automatically transfers all of that. So oh, that's awesome. Every, every, every single Friday morning, you should look into it. Every Friday morning, all of the top line revenue from my business goes into the automatic withdrawal and then it immediately disperses it throughout the different accounts. Do you... Oh, interesting. It automatically does it. Automatically. Yeah. So then I go look on Friday. So like tomorrow at 8am, it's going to disperse all the money. And then I go and look and it'll tell me, okay, 10% went here, 20% went here, 30% went here. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> this is great, dude. I'm going to check it out. Cause if we can do, I do it manually. So if it just does automatic, that's huge. I'll check it out. And it's amazing because you, I've got 10 different bank accounts within it. Cause you know how difficult it is to God dang, dude, this is why I, I would buy this now from me talking about it. This is why I made money as an affiliate. So I have, you can make different bank accounts. I've got 12 mini accounts within it. Yeah. Each gets their own debit card, their own checking. It's awesome. That's but, awesome. Um, yeah. So I'll stop relay running my money. So in, in closing, man, cause I know we both have to jump here in a second. Tell us a little bit about the travels we're closing out, man. So you've been to 55 countries. Is that correct? Somewhere around there. Yeah, 50 plus at the Dude, moment. Yeah, yeah, so out of all of it, what... Okay, the highlights, the Instagrammable stuff is the easy part. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't even... I don't care about that at all because I've already, I post on my Instagram too. People have already seen all this good stuff. Yeah. Give me one or two horror stories. All right. What were times where you were traveling? Because I'll tell you one. I'll tell you. I'll lead off. I yeah, le- I had landed in Greece... For my first, it was my first, second day of my trip around the world for a year after leaving my job. And I get a call. I had given my car to a friend to put on Turo because you don't want your car sitting stagnant for a year. Like yeah. you need people to run it. So I was like, might as well do the Turo thing. And he was an expert, like a certified Turo person. He had a great account. And so second day I get a call and I, I look on WhatsApp and I've got 10 missed calls. And he goes, hey, dude, you forgot to register your car. It got impounded. Like the person oh. driving the Turo <laughs> got, got pulled over. Your car's impounded. What do we do about this? And I was like, okay, cool. Showtime. 
<laughs> yeah, like while traveling, all right, let's figure this out. Yeah. So what do you have a story or two where you're like, okay, I thought my business was going to be destroyed by this while I was traveling, but we figured it out. Dude, I probably got a few of them. Um, a lot of it would be like early days, right? Where you don't really have your systems out and you don't really have team members. Yeah. So I remember it's like 2016. So not too long after I actually quit my job and started traveling, I think I went to Poland and I just didn't have great cell service, didn't have great anything. And there's a lot of stuff popping up and in my LA business. And in some ways it was good because I had a couple of team members there and they were like so close to quitting. They were like almost done with it and I couldn't really connect with anyone. And business is very early and they just had to figure it out. But yeah. seriously, the manager told me afterwards, she's like, I was about like 1% away from just quitting. And if so, it would have been game over because I, I can't answer anything. No one can answer anything. She'd be gone. I can't retrain someone. I'd have any systems. In terms of business, that would probably be one where if you're not ready, you're not ready, man. And that was like, that just put it to the fire that after that, I realized, okay, I really got to systemize my training. There was, I, I wouldn't have been able to train anyone because I didn't even know what she was doing. So definitely yeah. that was there. Dude, this has been awesome, man. So tell us tell us where people can find you and tell us more about the franchise. If, if you're looking for any more franchisees, where can they go, etc.? Absolutely, yeah. We're definitely recruiting more franchisees right now. Ideally, we're looking for people who are in what I call is like Matrix 1 or Matrix 2. If you're in Matrix 1, which is you're stuck in a 9 to 5, you want out, you're crushing podcasts, you're trying to figure out how to actually get your escape, you're not really sure how to do it. You just want to join a system that's already taught you how to do everything that's very tech enabled that you can run remotely. That's the people in Matrix 1 who we're looking for, or people in Matrix 2, people who maybe have started their business already, but they're stuck in what I call cash flow purgatory, where you don't have your systems in place. You don't have enough cash flow to actually get out fully of the business. You're really stuck in the weeds and they need that next level of management and training to be able to figure out how to systemize their business and maybe they want to join the franchise. Those would be the two types of people we're looking for. As of the recording of this podcast, whenever it drops, our franchise fee is currently 39000 We do have a lot of promos running right now, meaning like free marketing credit and doing a ton of stuff for the first 20 people in the franchise system. So if you're interested, go to www.madethisfranchise.com, M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S-franchise.com. Uh, I'm super active on Twitter, so find me on there. And lastly, I do have a podcast called The Remote Local Podcast, which is all about how to run a local business completely remotely. So you could check that out too. Boom. You heard it here first, guys. And all these links are going to be in the show description. So if you guys are interested in checking it out, go down, scroll down, and of course, leave us a five-star rating and review. And then go leave Neil a five-star rating and review because you ball abundance. Neil, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. This has been awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. That was awesome. All right, guys. It's been Neil and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast. Signing off. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.